This is Chrome Bills, by the way. Chrome Bills. And we're drunk. Chrome Bills, y'all. It's Chrome Bills, y'all. It's Chrome Bills, y'all. We built it from the ground floor. Pound for pound as we found a crowdsource. Now you hear a loud roar and a downpour of A.O. from the south. SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you go. Subscribe and leave a comment. Be a friend of the show. Seize Mike, Steve, Bill, ZK, Chromosome. Want a Chrome Bill shirt? Pay Alice the dough. The intro and the interlude's new. There's something huge in the interview. Who are you? Who are you? True. We'll see through like an x-ray. I pass it to C's with a fabricated segue. So press play and let us send the energy. Throughout the potosphere to all our friends and enemies. Eventually we gotta let it go viral Be sure to stay tuned for the episode title This is that time where I make a quick joke And write a quick note So it ends up on a clip show Yo, this shit's dope ah, Making each F better than the last show Either way I'm staring at Steve's cat's show call. If this is a road trip, let me hold you down Make that trip from NYC to Chrome Bill South It's Chrome Bill Show It's Chrome Bill Show It's Chrome Bill Show it's Chrome Bills, y'all. 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 It's Welcome. Hey, that's all good. Welcome. That's a lot. I stopped numbering mine after 50 because it was like, fuck it, I'm tired of trying to remember which number it is. Right. That's right. You have a very popular podcast called The Soul Cast, aptly titled. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's just been around a long time. You know, I don't know if it's popular, but it's definitely been around. So, what year did you start? It's like a, 2013. Nice. Okay. So it's like I guess it's one of the longest running anarchist podcasts, which like still kind of blows my mind because I I don't know. You know, you know how it is like when you start doing a project like this, you just feel like you sound stupid or something and then <laughs> next thing you know it's like, Oh, it's a thing and people send you stuff. It's like, Okay, that's cool, awesome. Well, having heard uh, several episodes, I can say that th- whereas ours I feel like is a little bit easier to do just because the main thing for us to do is just cut loose and be funny. I feel like your shit gets in a little bit heavier stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I I definitely have to do a lot of research. It's kind of like like I I always say I um I never got to go to college or anything, and so it's sort of like forces me to continually educate myself and hopefully others learn with me as I'm going. So it is an, it is an anarchist podcast. Sorry yes. for not knowing. Okay, got it. Do you find if you're reading and researching a lot that that has a positive impact on writing? Absolutely. I mean, it's like for as like a songwriter and a rapper, I feel like I'm. It's like cheating. You know, it's like I get I read somebody's book because I'm interested in it, and then as I'm like processing these things for for music and for whatever. Um, I then get to go ask the writers like my hardest questions for them and so it's like you know it's like basically getting to cheat off of your professors it's like it's like being able to get you know like being able to like take that person aside and ask them 
anything you want. And then it's cool because usually those people become my friends and then they're just in my life after that usually. And so it's like, so I just love, I have all these like long, long term conversations with all these people and it, it changes, you know, they, it changes me every time almost. I'm always like, cause I don't do an interview with somebody unless I'm really interested in what they have to say. Like, it's like people submit me stuff and it's like, I'm not doing it for content. I'm doing it to talk about what I think is important, you know? generally how does that come together they contact you you reach out to them I, I i know you recently had a pretty significant move across the country right so i can imagine you're doing many in person no i never liked i don't like doing them in person because i don't like having to make eye contact with people <laughs> when i have like a list of questions you know i like being able to like take notes when people are talking and then uh you know have like my questions so i can like listening but i can like segue into like the next question better or something because like right, right. yeah i don't really like doing them in person to be honest i mean i have done it like three or four in person but yeah and so they, they come together 95 percent of the time um or 98 percent of the time is me i contact people i don't i don't really i actually don't like getting submissions for my podcast um, just because, like, guys, scrap all- the email that we were going to send them to have us on. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's like it's always, it's always like it's usually like some weird shit. Like people will ask me to be on my podcast, and then like they won't retweet it or something, or they'll like they'll be flaky with me. I'm like, yo, you fucking contacted me, you sent me your book, like I read it. You know, it's hours of my life. I'm doing this podcast to promote your work, and like you're just treating it like it, it's nothing like it's a lot of my time there so that's whack man yeah definitely. Yeah, so I, so i'm just kind of like you know what? no i'd rather reach out to people who you know who's i'm, I'm reading about this thing and i want to learn more about it or but you know i mean I, I i take submissions i mean you know anything's possible there's no rules total anarchy bro. right 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 <laughs> <laughs> There's one episode in particular I want to ask about, uh, Nancy Munson. How did that one come together? And for anyone interested in education, it's the June 27th, 2018 episode. I, to date, my favorite one because she's so interesting. Mm. You know uh, you know what, Dad? Um, you will like some of the ones I have coming up um, about like radical parenting kind of stuff too. Okay. Um, but not right now. Um, in, the, in like a couple months. But um, my wife worked for this woman, Nancy Munson, wow. uh, in in Denver, and yeah, she was just this cool hippie woman who lived on a commune, and she had this nature based uh, elementary school. And um, I think the mic's rubbing against your beard. Oh, sorry. She had this cool. Uh, thank Cold, you. No. She had a cool nature-based elementary school, and um, yeah, my wife worked there for a while, and they just had interesting theories about like discipline and play, and um, it, was, it was really cool stuff. And so I feel like with our kid, like I feel really lucky that I mean, my wife already had a degree um, in like early child psych- psychology and education. But like that combined with that experience of working there, you know, and now we're like living in the woods and he's, you know, helping me stack wood or whatever. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's 
it's all it's all clicking it's all making sense but That's i feel lucky cool. that feel lucky to have a uh, a wife who has that background for sure because i have no fucking clue about that shit <laughs> and you've got a full studio at the compound uh yeah i mean you know it's mo- it's hard I, I can't really i mean it's a studio but it's like it's a rapper studio you know it's just a bunch of like guitar pedal yeah, it's a bunch of guitar pedals and uh, eight track and you know a whole bunch of gear, but like just a sound card and some speakers. It's a total dun- shithole in there. Like, I <laughs> could be the name of this episode. It's a total shithole in there. There's no, there's nothing hanging on the walls. Like it's, you know, the speakers aren't even like pointed at forty five degree angle with the seat in the middle. It's like one is one's like shooting off the left half of the time. It's not turned on. Like, you know, it's a it's a rapper. It's a broke ass rapper studio. Well, so it's interesting because one of the things we were talking about before the show uh, with uh, Chuck, Steve, and I, and I don't know if you know, so Steve is the guy with the door behind. I guess they both have door behinds. How would I separate these two guys? I have my hand. That's Chuck. I see Steve and I see Chuck. I got my cursor over both of them. Okay. Uh, So we went back and listened to your discography. I mean, I've been a big fan of yours since, I mean, way back when, since when you first started, like the learning to walk days and, Awesome. It sounds like over the years, uh, yeah, Third Person is still one of my favorite songs of yours. It sounds like over the years, you began to record more and more. Like, Was Man's Best Friend the beginning of you recording at home studios, or how did all that work out? It's always in the house. Everything. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, um, but back then we would record it on ADAT, and then we would take it to a studio, and they would mix it there. Um, and then in 2000 year 2000 i got a laptop but before that we were always using uh adat so i always did everything from home i've never liked never liked recording studios i've always just like having a mic by a desk and kind of i don't know it just makes me feel more confident like i don't like having it's like having somebody going through my underwear drawer or something (laughs) (laughs) i was telling cole when we were getting ready for the episode was that you know the mediums that we all listen to music on have changed so much over the time that like a lot of times you know you get you, you switch to streaming and then you have this collection of music and and you sort of aggregate it all together again and then you aggregate it all together again like we were on vinyl we were on cds we were on you know downloading mp3s we were on streaming and there was just a lot of stuff that i really it was like very nostalgic to go through because uh, i for some reason i pulled up the i apologize joint that you did with sage on the sick of waiting tables and I was just like god I heard this song so many times when I was in college and then like also thinking of your career trajectory I'm like you know it's it's still the same guy but it's like it's very different um how <laughs> how often do you go back into your own catalog and kind of listen to like uh you know the, the three I pulled today that just struck me hard were I apologize plutonium and the baddest poet which were like songs that were my shit you know probably god that's probably 16 plus years ago now like how often are you going back through that is that something where you're like i haven't heard that in five years or or where are you yeah i don't know um i mean you know like i mean thing that comes to mind is like when alias died i went back and like listened to all the stuff we did together um but i don't listen to that stuff old stuff a lot like i'll like i'll go to my Bandcamp page and just kind of press play on one of them 
Um, but usually it's like some old man's best friend shit or something that like I never really thought about very much. And I'll be like, I don't remember any of this shit, you know? <laughs> and like, I like, I like that. I like feeling, Oh, this was cool. You know, this, this track was cool. This was, this was cool. Um, and, 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 but whereas like my bigger releases, when I go back and listen to like selling live water or bodily humans, I'd be like, Oh God, that's so sloppy. Or the, the backup vocals are off or the, um, you know, that line's bad or, you know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> like, why do people like this so much? You know, kind of shit. But I, I know I, I, I think those are like, you know, I think that's a very special era of music, especially the shit recorded on ADATs with like gear before computers. There's like, you know, nothing sounds like that anymore. Are you the type to listen to something a million times after you're done with it? Or are you done with it, put it aside and it's on to the next thing? Uh, when I'm working on a song, I will obsessively listen to it and listen to it like it's the best thing I ever made, you know. Um, and then, like, I'll not listen to it for a week, and then I'll go back to it and be like, no, that's not the best song I've ever made. That's not very good. It's the worst song I've ever made. But, like, for instance, my new album, I've listened to it, you know, 100 times, 150 times. I just keep listening to it, and I get really excited about it. Um but yeah, I, I don't like, I'm not at the point where like I put out a new album and then I'm like over it already and like, oh, it sucks, you know. Um, I'm usually pretty, I'm always, the only, I feel like Live From Rome is probably the only record I put out that I didn't really like when I had it, when I finished it. Really? That, it's funny because of the songs that I was going back to, I think Sin Karn, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and then Theme, the theme song from... I, I don't know. It's, I'm interested to hear an explanation as to why you thought that at the time. Um, just because, like, all my working relationships with other uh, oh. Anticon producers were kind of like melting down, and it was sort of like really came to a crescendo when I was like s- s- all by myself in Barcelona, and so I didn't really have anybody to work with. It wasn't like now where you could just email somebody a beat, and so it was like like I was like all I had was what I had to work with and like I didn't I didn't feel confident enough about my own production and so I was just like plugged my nose and just put it out and you know well so wait how were people getting you the beats did you have the stems on like a file or something yeah we'd like send data discs uh, wow. of like <laughs> digital of like you know what I mean like we'd like send CDRs through with FedEx shit it's interesting because the mixes on that I feel like to my ear throughout an entire album is the crispest thing I've heard you do production wise like I think your vocals have been as good or better on some other stuff but like throughout I don't know that's crazy that's such a crazy backstory to it yeah I mean I I mean I knew it was like good you know (laughs) I just like I was I was just like uh I wasn't like I if I had it my way I would have probably made like six more songs and gotcha you know artists are neurotic right right <laughs> well said so uh for you mentioned your new album if i'm pronouncing it correctly is destituent 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 not destituent and what exactly does that mean and i know it's an actual word yeah i mean i don't know if it really it, i mean it's a word now um basically like you know if if you're a citizen, you're a constituent, you know, you have like a, you know, a senator and a mayor and 
the House of Representatives and you know, you, you empower these other people to like speak and act on behalf of you, you know. Uh, whereas like destituent power is, um, <clears throat> it's kind of coming from like a French theory. Um, and so it has like, to me, it has like two different um, uh, forms to it. There's like, the, uh, like the, the, the ability to starve the ruling class or the powers that be of their ability to, to govern. So like standing rock, um, blockading, like it's not a protest. It's not, it's not asking your senator. It's not a petition. It's not voting. It's getting out there and specifically preventing those, those forces from carrying shit out, whether they're fascists or oil pipelines or cops. Um, and so there's like that aspect of it, which is like a reactive, um, <clears throat> it's non reactive thing. I mean, it's, it's physical, non-political. Yeah, I mean it's not political in the sense of politicians. But then the other the other aspect of destituent power is like building, like here's here's how here's how I mean it. I mean it like we're not going to have a revolution, and the government that we have in place is never going to act in our interests. I don't care if socialists take power, or like whatever anybody says the state is only going to is only capable of um <clears throat> what we see and that's like managing disaster and keeping the rich rich and everybody else at each other's throats um and so like <clears throat> to 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 create like um just your own destituent power is to move out onto a homestead and learn to feed yourself and learn to heat your home and create firewood and create the, and that's like one example, but like creating the living and breathing our ideals in the now, like not like pushing capitalism to the margins of our life and <clears throat> doing what we can to get free now. So on one hand, you're like preventing the government's ability to function, but on the other hand, you're prefiguring your daily life to represent your politics and political engagement. So it has like a both combative edge to it um, and an, another aspect of just building your own power, creating mutual aid networks, creating, um, you know, like all these anarchist projects you see like mutual aid disaster relief, like anarchists flying in supplies where FEMA and the Red Cross won't go, getting planes to do that shit. Like, um, and so basically it's, in general, it's just a fancy French word to describe some specific anarchist practices as opposed to saying like appealing to people on ideological terms. It's appealing to people to say, look, here are two ways to be. One hand, build your, build your own power. And in another hand, weaken the state and the ruling class. Um, and t together, the, those, those things... Um, how, are, are very liberatory you know they they make our lives better now and we don't have to wait for a revolution or some senator to save us or to open the government no, right no, good point oh yeah the government shutdown i i just even hearing you talk right now i mean these seem like really things that are like really early themes in your music right if i'm going back to selling live water just even the statement of like i've never paid a parking ticket it's 20 dollars now or 300 then 
you want your money come get it better bring 100 guns and 200 men or whatever like the exact lyric is and that's again that's 15 plus years ago can you sort of pinpoint a moment of the of the ideological shift for you from you're growing up you're taking the environment that you're told uh, to to sort of a, a moment of awakening or a time period of awakening, and does that overlap a lot with the beginning of hip hop for you? What do you mean? Does it overlap with the beginning of hip hop? Does it predate the lyricism, or is it kind of one and the same? Like when you started writing and you started thinking more, not 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 the not the genre of hip hop, but hip hop for you, like you're you as a rapper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my trajectory is like. The first song I ever recorded was a my own version of Blue Steel in the Hour of Chaos by Public Enemy, which is a song about breaking someone out of prison, you know? And so that that's when I was like, whatever, um, 13 or 14 years old, you know, wearing Malcolm X hats and, you know, writing pages in the eighth grade about the Black Panthers and shit. Um, and so I, I mean, when I say I wanted to be black at age 14, like I really wanted to be black at age 14. Um, and <clears throat> God, I, my father was so fucking pissed when I said that. <laughs> um, but I was like, we don't have a culture. We don't have any, anything. We suck, you know? Um, and, uh, and then like, and like I was really into that shit until gangster rap came out and then I was like no this is where it's at like Ice Cube NWA this shit's where it's at and then I was all then I like forgot about the political shit and just listened to gangster rap for like the rest of my childhood and then all of a sudden um, like on, on like an early live poet song I said some line like the west coast is whack in Miami bass is whacker and uh, pedestrian who was like some random dude on the internet when we were like 14 or something heard that line and was like oh man you can't say that shit you ain't heard no good west coast stuff and then he so he just started sending me like freestyle fellowship saphir all this west coast underground shit like in like whatever 1993 or 92 or it was so long ago and uh or 94 actually because that's and uh and then so i i was mostly into like artistic expression throughout that period, like vague social commentary. Like I thought the most deaf kind of Taleb Quelly political rap was kind of cheesy. I didn't, I wasn't into the way political rap had evolved. I just thought it got like boring and like, I don't rap, like I don't rap in bumper stickers. It's like a, it's like I'm thinking about political hip hop and how, just how boring it was to me. And then like 9-11 happened. And then we were in New York on 9-11. And I was like, I don't know why this happened, but I'll bet we fucking did something to make this happen, uh, to, uh, to provoke someone. And so I just started schooling myself about like history and empire. And then that led me to like Howard Zinn, Noam Chomsky. And then that led me to like Emma Goldman and the Situationists. And then I just kept going. When you said you were in New York, that was you guys were touring, or you were living uh, there. I say here because that's where I'm right now. But you were living here at that time, like on a temporary basis, or you just happened to be in town that weekend, or, or what exactly? Yeah, I went down to Fat Beats to crack some heads. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, we were at um, CMJ. <laughs> we were at like CMJ um, 
some this college music journal yep yep thing and that's what we were there for we were yeah it was a little tour it was like a you know you know whatever six six date tour okay. like, so back when you were doing those who was setting them up because i get the impression that before anacom became an official thing there was a handful of people really putting the gears together and making them go mm. that i mean i wouldn't really put it i don't uh there was not really not really it was a fucking mess actually um <laughs> <laughs> we just got lucky with a couple of things. Um, and so uh, for that tour specifically, we kind of had a manager, this guy, Franz Fleischli, who was like an A&R for Atlantic and was trying to uh, sign us. And I was like, we're not signing for less than a million dollars. So you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, I want to, I want to manage you guys. And, uh, <clears throat> and then, so he started helping us out and he got us a distribution deal with Southern and, hooked us up with some like big publicists and helped us do that tour. He like helped book that tour. And then like a year later, he just, just kind of was like, nah, I can't deal with all this bullshit. You guys have going on with each other. I'm, I'm out of here <laughs> with each other in terms of, uh, interpersonal stuff or just the angle you wanted to go at music with or everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, it was like a bunch of people who didn't really know each other, all these competing, young 20 year old male egos like you know it, it was uh we needed like a like a og older cat who we all trusted to kind of uh you know i don't know slap it because there was nobody who came before us that could be like you should do this you know it was right. like indie hip-hop was like a new thing like no one had really been there you right. know it wasn't like punk rock or something we're like you know, the old what atmosphere had been around like a year longer. You know, right. it wasn't like it wasn't like we had some fugazi hip hop shit to like look at and be like, oh, this is what this is what um, this is what we should be doing. Maybe a couple years ahead of us, but not like ten years. Not like generate. Not like older generations who could like set us on the right. Yeah, yeah. And like I feel like a lot of these kind of like new cats kind of get to benefit from that a little bit. Like they can see, you know, the independent hip hop has like a twenty year history now at this point. And the technology changed so much too. Like I feel like at that point, it was you had to go out and find it, you know, and it was something that it wasn't readily available. So a lot of, I mean, I look at the, the two guys that do the podcast with them, like a lot of our growing friendships were about finding music and sharing it with people. And, and being while, while we're all artists, like being fans and it was all of that was moving in, in the way that you received it. Whereas now I feel it's the opposite way where it's like constant inundation where there's just so many things I want to check, but I haven't gotten to because it's all readily available. So for people doing stuff now is so much different than you guys then trying to like, how do uh, you know wh what is the way to get the exposure or to get you know stuff out there it was like sandbox and message boards and all this other stuff and napster and really like burnt cds being shared between friends and stuff just a completely different environment from what we all accept as normal now hip-hop uh, forums and message groups or whatever on the internet right <laughs> Well, the craziest well, those thing, are a dark place, man. The, That's the, like the, the, the YouTube comment place. section now yeah. is like what, you know, like the undergroundhiphop.com <laughs> message board was back then. Right. The craziest thing for me was I was, so Chuck and I went to the University of Maryland, and there was a radio show there 
And the same person, he played me a song from Overcast, and, you know, I was hooked. And then not long after that, he played me some soul stuff. And then not long after that, he's like, and soul, and then the dude from Atmosphere did a record together called Deep Paul the Diamond. I mean, that coming together then at, at the time was mind-blowing. And to know that you guys weren't doing it by, like, tweeting at each other and then, <laughs> you know, like, how did you guys even cross paths? And not just because I also remember seeing you – I think it might have been one of the first Anacond tours. It was you, Sage, Alias, uh, in Baltimore. And it was probably like 2001. Oh, shit. You were at that Autobar? Auto so no, it was that. So you. Josh Martinez? Josh Martinez. So the Autobar was at a smaller place when you first came. Because yeah. it was the only time I saw you with Sage. And I know Alias was there. And then the next time I saw you at Autobar. Uh, you had like an American flag tie wrapped around your head. And I think you had like a standing cellist or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but so going that far back, the first show at the auto bar was pre everything in terms of, I don't think, you know, people might've been downloading porn for like three and a half hours just to get something, you know, technology wasn't keeping up with shit. Right. So how did you guys begin? I know the tape trading thing was a big thing, but how did you guys start crossing paths? Wait, hold on a second. I'm sorry. Wait, wait sorry. for it. Wait for it. You asked the wrong question, see. I was going to say, I knew I shouldn't ask that shit. I knew I shouldn't have no, got, bar. No, I got, I, I, uh, my son just fell asleep on the couch, so I have to go in the other room. Hold on a second. Okay. Good parenting. It's funny. I've been trying to avoid, like, so what happened with Anacon? I remember that auto bar show. That was an awesome show. Do you, which the first one or both of them? Or? Yeah, it was so dirty and fucked up back then. <laughs> yeah, I loved that show. Um, and uh, in August, so how did we meet? Um, basically, I was. Uh, I, I want to say on music rec dot music dot hip hop news groups um, or. I'm pretty sure it was news groups or some kind of chat room. Some guy played me some atmosphere stuff. Um, you know, back then you would look at the back of a record and call the phone number on the back. You know, I'd right. call Jay. I'd call Jay Live at his house. I'd call Yeshua the Poed at his house. I'd call Mister Complex at his house. You know, <laughs> I'd call William Upski at his house. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> William Upski, just, that's yeah, a good yeah, reference. Yeah, good pull. That's the uh, no, no more prisons, right? Yeah. Uh, bomb the no, suburbs. Bomb the suburbs. Bomb the suburbs. Oh, it's two books, right? Bomb yeah. the suburbs yep, and no more right. prisons. Yeah. But yeah, and so I would just. Um, pick up the back of the record and call somebody and uh you know you'd have like a 400 dollars phone bill uh, back then uh and uh that you wouldn't or i would i would i would um <laughs> you had the free long and, distance uh, calls with the job that's the, free by the way that's just cutting in real quick that's the best was, line from juicy where he's like phone bill about two g's flat like no one understands that line today <laughs> no for real um i didn't have that job back then i was working in maine but uh i definitely got in a lot of trouble like they pulled me aside and were like, "This is your phone bill for your phone." Like, what the fuck? What the fuck are you doing in there? And I'm like, "Shut the fucking door! I'm talking to a distributor right, right now. Right, like, right. stay out." Right. Uh, um, but uh, they, so yeah, so yeah, basically we talked on the phone, 
And then we're like, let's all just fly here and meet. And at the same time, like um, me and Dose were also sending each other each other's music. And I feel like Mr. Dibs was the real hub there that sort of brought everyone together. Nice. Um, yeah. And so. And for yeah, our and audience, that was, you that recognize was, Mr. Cool Dibs from the Scribble Jam stuff. And so I'd imagine you guys crossed paths there too a little bit. Yeah, I only went to Scribble Jam like twice. I didn't. I didn't like it. Oh really? No. Yeah. Well, there was all this beef. It was just like everybody was mad at us, and I was just like, man, I don't, I'm not trying to like hang out and like almost get into fights all the time. Like this is way too expensive flying like 15 people out here to just like deal with all this bullshit. You know? Yeah. Like, fuck it. We'll stay. We'll stay on the West Coast. Let the B boys go. Fucking B boy. <laughs> And Don't so, you have a recollection of hanging out with Soul at a scribble jam? I do. There's, a, I actually have a picture of of me, you, and Esoteric. Oh hell yes. yeah! I'll email it to you. It's pretty awesome. Did you have hell long? Yeah. Hair? You had you had long hair back then? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you had like yeah. a ponytail or something. I was there with Edan. Esoteric. Yeah, maybe Edan was in the picture too. What? We'll I'll check. Doubt it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever met that guy. Maybe he was in the picture, but I. I don't think so. Okay. But, you know, the craziest yeah. thing is I want to say he, I think he might have opened the show. No, he opened for Sage once. I was going to say, I thought he opened the show with you at Autobar. I can't. Oh, you know who opened the show at the Autobar? I think it was Grand Buffet. Height. Height, well, Height, Height definitely was one of the openers. Did Grand Buffet do, did they ever open for you in Baltimore on the East Coast? Yes. they. I went on tour with them um, playing the Autobar in like 2003. But That's um, the one I'm talking about. I was at that show, actually. Yeah. Exactly. With the cello player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that guy was a piece, piece of work. Well, it's funny because I remember I asked you, I talked to you a handful of other times before that, but I asked you at the show, I was like, Yo, how do you remember all this shit? You know, because your lyrics aren't, you know, it's not cat in a hat shit. And, and I remember you just sort of looked at me, you're like, I just got to a point, I was like, this shit is so dope, like I can't fuck it up. You know what I thought? That's a no. perfect answer. I swear to God, I'm not lying. I'm not Damn. lying. That's a cool response. Yeah, it was great. That's cool. I was cool. I was cool. <laughs> you were cool, man. <laughs> I was cool. <laughs> cool. Most stories are like, right. fucking, that guy was an asshole. And I'm like, right, right. Like, whatever. I was. I, so, I mean, to that point, uh, I remember one time seeing AC alone at, at the auto bar. I was like, yeah, how are you feeling tonight, man? He's like, I just want everybody to be cool. Like, <laughs> That's the second coolest response I've ever heard. That's awesome. Yeah, he fucking came up to me. Uh, twice at shows it was like let's make a fucking song together and i was like shocked that he even knew my shit or something yeah so then i've like reached out to him so many times afterwards and it never happened yeah and uh i'm I'm still like like yo let's make a song you know like it'd be still there's still time yeah well especially because anytime i'm listening to old ac alone and like my wife walks into the room yeah she's always like acts like she busted me or something like oh what's this and i'm like ac alone she's like sounds like bodily humans and i'm like fuck hey agreed right <laughs> what's your favorite ac alone record i just have to do this for c's because i know his favorite record of all time is the ac alone record i mean it's a really that's a tough call but i would say all balls don't bounce oh it's just so stylish wild card why you would say the mumbles one yeah i i've always felt like that sort of 
came out of nowhere, set a bar that not many people have strived to, just in terms of the concept and the execution. The record itself, and it's funny because we've had this conversation between the three of us several times. I have no idea who Mumbles is, if he's ever done anything else. But from front to back, I think that record is one of the best produced albums I've ever heard. And it matches so well with the theme. So I, I would I would agree that it's a better record. But it's in terms of your favorite. favorite. Yeah, yeah, I so. got you. Right. All but balls that don't but bounce. Right. It's just so stylish. Now, in my yeah. natural habitat, I gravitate right. towards habitat and everything. <laughs> right. So you were out in LA for you. What you got one of the more nomadic experiences of people we've had on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, you started. You grew up in Portland, Maine, and then from there, where did you go, and where are you at now? From there, I went to the Bay. Lived in the Bay for a while. Um, moved to Spain. Uh, lived, moved to Barcelona, I should say. Lived in Barcelona for a couple of years. Moved to Northern Arizona. Lived in Flagstaff, and then we lived outside of Sedona, and then we moved to Denver. Um, lived there for almost for nine years. And then we just moved to Brunswick, Maine, which is about about a half hour north of Portland. Oh, and like it's a college town, sort of on the periphery of uh, the rural. Have you gone to Soul Folks yet? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I want to go there. Yeah, awesome. It's yeah. fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't. I just went down to interview Milo, but I'd gone up there um, a couple of times before. I um, I just wanted to meet Milo because yeah. I, I'm really um, I've been really inspired by what he's done yeah. and what he does and like how he approaches his shit just all around. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I was like, you know, I wanted to see what meet it's him. like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, sure. is this guy cool? Can I still enjoy his music? He's definitely got some, <laughs> he's definitely got some magic. I don't know what it is. I can't, there's I, some magic. In there's there, some definite magic. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you should listen to the podcast I did with him. He is like uh, he's that. like Gil Sky Heron or some shit. He's just like huh. just so lucid. Yeah. It's just like it's cool. So for our audience members out there, after you've listened to this episode twice, shared it with each of your family members, go check out the latest episode of the Soulcast featuring his interview with Milo. Yeah. And Nancy Munson. And Nancy Munson. Nancy yeah. Munson and Milo should do a record. <laughs> She, she'd, she'd probably be down. Yo, her yeah. answers were so. I mean, she's just like a Ginsu with the with the answers. Sometimes you hear people with her mm. way of thinking, and sometimes even their experience, and it's sort of like a, it's scattershot. And every question you had about a pretty, you know, thorough concept, she's like right to the point. That shit was amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. And I mean, I, I'm just like always like. I don't know. I, I always just think if I'm like myself around the people, like my wife's coworkers, I'm going to get her fired or something. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it's always like refreshing when, when it's the other way around, you know, when they're like, mm. you know, like to get down on some fuck the government shit, you know, right. it's like, all right. But plus, plus just radical in different ways, you know, like kids are, kids are like the final frontier. Like, all these, all our generations are fucked. Like it's the, it's the ones who are coming next. Like you know, they're the ones who are gonna have to wipe our asses for us and clean right. up our mess. <laughs> well, so do you? It, it with someone with your tilt, uh, mm-hmm. ideologically, do you feel like having a kid has changed that at all? Or I mean, the cliches of new perspective. Or do you still feel like we're kind of circling the drain, and he's just he's gonna be the last one to see the bull? 
Um, no, I think that there, I think like a couple generations after him are going to be the last to see the bull. Um, but I don't know. I was just did this podcast today and the guy was talking about how like the pollution in, in the, in the, in the rain, uh, is actually like full of nitrogen and like, you know, so there's like some benefits to all the, all the pollution. Like the oh, plants we did it. love it. The That's plants awesome. love, the plants love, um, plastic the, toys, the, the polluted rain. They love it, it. wasn't It wasn't the Gatorade. It wasn't Gatorade. It was. Um, it was the polluted rain. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm. Um, I'm a little bit of both. You know, I'm. I'm like, I, I. I can't be like as doomy and gloomy as like I, um, kind of think. You know, I kind of have to be like, all right, like, um, I want to give my kid a good life. I want to set him up for success, and you know that means a lot of shit. You know. So, um, it, it means like fighting for a better world for, for him. Right. And, uh, but also that's the hard giving part. him think, a good life. I think that's, it, that's one of the things is it's, it's so I've always liked about your music. And then I know, uh, your booking agent, Nicholas Oliver, uh, has talked, he hit me up about booking you in DC and he's like, and he's also an activist. So if there's anything else along those lines, and I thought, I mean, no one fucking complains more than I do, but I'm not new. I'm not doing anything to fix it. At least this guy wants to go to another city and do some activist shit. <laughs> um, so I'd imagine you're still pretty involved along those lines. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, I, I've I've helped put together this sort of anarchist uh, podcast network called Channel Zero, and it's um, it's cool. Like that's like my main like the podcast is like my my main political work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not organizing out here. I'm not, um, you know, I don't know any. I don't I don't know anybody out here. So it's not like I can like get twenty people together to go rally at the district attorney's house or something. Like I I don't really know twenty people who would do some crazy shit with me yet. So it's going to take a while to um, find to find the troublemakers around here. And <laughs> you and your yeah. son going an egg in the mayor's house and shit. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I mean, yeah, that's a whole another subject. It's like I don't even know how I'm going to handle uh, politics with my kids, mm. but because um, it's like you don't want to raise little terrorists or something, right, right, right. Um, but yeah, so I mean, and um, I mean, I'm really thinking about like farming and like what what role like farming has in a in this on this along this line of thinking like so what through my podcast a lot of like anarchist farmers have been reaching out to me from new england which is like a cool thing you don't really think about like revolutionary farmers and so it's like i'm trying to like have conversations about that and like figure out like what would that mean like would would that mean like we'd all give five percent of food from our farms to like the next standing rock or like I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that means. So I'm interested in like figuring out how farming can play a role in a kind of mutual aid slash revolutionary strategy. But really, it's just because I love growing food, and so it's like if there's a way to do that, that's. Um, I feel like your, your Instagram account is the only account where pictures of food are actually pretty interesting because it's all stuff you've grown yourself, and you're so proud of it. I know I'm such a I'm so middle aged. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a baby boomer hip hop, or what can I say? Do you, you know? are you on public? Are you on like public water supply, or do you have a well? Or 
both okay i got you so we don't um we haven't we have springs like all over our yard okay. uh, i could like stick a straw in the ground and oh nice just drink some mud um <laughs> but yeah we haven't like our well uh-huh. exists okay. but i don't know how to use it okay i got you so i i think i, I think i have to buy a pump and get it dug out or something for sure um, yeah but, all right so i'm gonna drive uh chuck and steve nuss with this yeah, one. yeah let's go Here and I, go. I, th- I think once you brought up farming they kind of know i was gonna this up have you ever read the book ishmael by daniel quinn <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, one of the things he puts forth in the book is about how the beginning of totalitarian agriculture was the beginning of the end for humans just in terms of it began to create us thinking we're the only species that matters and then from that like within the species being like well I'm more important than this person for based on pretty arbitrary reasons and I do think that I'm the last but like I can't you know I could turn on a light that's about as like technologically advanced as I am like I, I think I once burned like a bonsai tree I don't know how that happened but I do feel like if people could be in control of their own resources along food like whatever domestic stuff you would need like my internet went out today right and my kid's sitting there first time she's had like vomit and shit we'll finally get her show on she's finally cooling out and the internet goes out after like 10 minutes and i almost had like a meltdown my man was <laughs> was heated. Like, i could tell right. you just from listening to the story right off. but i remember thinking you know if shit really did hit the fan like i'm completely unprepared to handle it and i really feel like if i was more in control of the water well my energy source my own fucking food Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be nearly as dependent. I wouldn't get caught up in the cycle of what I've heard you guys are referred to on the podcast, the, the debt economy. You know, like having right. to having to provide is like, all right, well, in order to get energy, I have to expend so much more energy to get it for myself and then the people around me. Whereas if it was just self-sustaining, we wouldn't have this problem, maybe. Right. I mean, I first of all, I pretty much, I mean, you know, there's a whole... Um, you know, there's all these primitivists, uh, people who believe that, you know, along the same lines have this critique of civilization that's laid out in Ishmael, you know, and like the the loss of the commons and, you know, um, I think it's Calvinism that says God gave man dominion over nature and then everything else, you know, it's like t- kill off the pagans who worship the earth and, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's mm. crazy how we live. Mm. Um, mm. But I would say thank you for saying that about farming because at the end of the day, I am like a doomsday prepper, you know, except like the fucking and where this is the end of the world. We are living in the end of the world. Um, you know, ask your neighbor who's working 80 hours a week for 15 bucks an hour, you know. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And so it's like, I mean, just from like an economic standpoint, like, if people were to look at like my tax returns and see how little money I make, but then they look at like how rich my life is. Like I'm hanging out with my kid, you know, during the work day, you know, from noon to six, we're running around in the woods when everybody else is working. And then like, you know, in the summer and spring and fall, it's like growing food and, and like, you know, I eat like a fucking King, but yet, um, you know, and it's like when you when you can grow your own food, when you can make your own tea, make your own medicine, um, you can you don't have to spend money. Yeah. You don't have to like I don't have to go buy kale. Like I have enough kale to last me, you know, a year. Um, and then that like 
that frees me up, you know, it frees me up to do other things. And so it's like, I, I couldn't afford to put my kid in daycare, but you know, we can do it this way. And, um, you know, my wife works part-time, I work part-time. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that shit is, uh, I think that's where it's at, you know, like I want to know how, I want to know how to dress wounds. I want to know how to like make medicine. I want to know how to grow my own food, but grow food to scale. So like this year it's like, okay, how many carrots do we eat? How many pounds of carrots do we eat every week? How many pounds of potatoes do we eat every week? How much, um, how many pounds of beans do we eat every week, you know, and then like, or every month or something. And then like doing the math, you know, we have like an acre and a half to grow food here. So it's like, all right, you know, all this food that we can store in a, in a root cellar, like carrots, beets, squash, beans, corn, like all this shit dries, um, you know, to can your tomatoes, like just growing tomatoes and herbs in salad, like you can save yourself, you know, 40 bucks a week, 50 bucks a week or whatever. Now, where did that come in? I know Chuck was referring earlier to your more political shift in terms of your actual rapping. At what point did the, from independent rapper to independent farmer, like what, at what point did you start growing your own food? Um, I mean, really when we came back from Barcelona, it was like right after hurricane Katrina, you know, I was just thinking like, all right, we're going to, we're going to live in the mountains you know, and like, we, I was like, I wanted to live there because I just kept thinking like a meteor was going to hit the earth. And I was like, I want to be up at a higher elevation. Um, Get me first. Yeah. No, no. Everyone else, everyone <laughs> else is, uh, you know, you, you'll survive up there according yeah. to the, according to the Hollywood blockbusters. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, so that was just part of the whole thing, you know, just living out in the woods in Flagstaff I was like, fuck it, I'm going to grow food. And so I just started growing onions and carrots and spinach was all I grew. But I was like, I was loving it. <clears throat> Are deer a problem for you? Um, I've only been here okay. six months. I haven't actually um, grown very much food here. Okay. But from what, from what I've seen, uh, deer are a very minimal issue where I live. Okay. Uh, like I, like I don't, <clears throat> Like I've seen like deer shit twice. Like, okay. I so far I think I'm pretty lucky with yeah. deer. But. They're a big problem here in Maryland. Oh really? Course, yeah. Yeah, I guess because I'm not in it. Like I'm because I'm like like I said, we're on the fringe of a college town. Okay. So it's like right between the college by a river and on the border of like a rural area, oh. and so it's like, like I've heard there's bears in the woods behind my house. Okay. So that's awesome. Like once I once I have fruit, uh, fruit growing back here, and, and there's fucking bears chasing <laughs> bears out of our yard. It's like, <laughs> Fuck out! Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm getting a fucking assault rifle. Right, sorry. Right, right. Well, so to put it in perspective, like how far are you from a Target or a Walmart? Um, I can get vegan pizza delivered to my house. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Like, yeah. No, it's cool. Like we ended up in a cool ass place. Like nice. it's, you know, tons of vegan food, awesome farmers market. Um, it's a pretty metro. So area. as a as a vegan, how do you feel about eating like animals that you caught in your yard or something? Are you not? Would you ever go there? 
we have chickens. Okay. Um, okay. We feed our our son and our dog the eggs. Okay. Um, I wish I I wish I wasn't grossed out by it. I would eat the eggs. Yeah. Um, but no, nah, I, I mean I don't have a problem with people eating eating meat. Um, part of like why I really want to figure out like a vegan homesteading technique is because when anytime I've tried to feed myself with beans and shit, um, there was no way I was able to grow enough. Um, mm-hmm. And so part of it is like to prove like, is it possible to be vegan a- after the end of the world? Like, am I, or am I going to have to suck it up and go eat some fish? Sure. So sure. Uh, I hope not, but if it comes down, if it's me or them, sorry. Right. You Sushi. Right. Sorry. I'm at the top of the food chain. <laughs> you know, it's not my fault. Don't hate right. the, don't hate to play. I hate the game. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is your conversation with the fish. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but it's like, but yeah. So I don't have a problem with you know people going going and doing that. Sure, I think sure. it's totally normal. Yeah, agreed. How do I mean, uh, how did drugs and alcohol layer into this at all? Do they? You always been straight edge. Just did you make a transition later in straight edge? Yeah. I didn't think so. That's what I was asking. I'm, I'm just curious. This is. This is a certified wine cooler, man. There you go. Spiked, <laughs> what does it say? Spiked and sparkling? Yeah, spiked Spike, and sparkling. Spike Sicilian blood cooler. orange. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, uh, you know, basically, you know, it's coffee in the morning and in the afternoon, typically. Um, I try not to drink every day. Um, you know, I'll go long periods of time where I don't do anything, where I don't smoke weed. Like, weed isn't part of my creative process. Weed... I don't get high before I do my podcast episodes, um, but neither do I'm, we. Yeah, I can tell. Um, do you? Are you high? No, oh. I'm a federal employee, man. I don't smoke weed. You're a fed. I am. I remember we talked about this in DC, and you're like, <laughs> you're like, you should become a whistleblower. Oh my god! You can whistleblow. What do you do? Inefficiencies of the government. Right. Sure. What do you do? I work for the National Archives. Oh, okay. That's like so. There's the one. In that? D- there's the like one, one in DC. One level below the FBI. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's the. So are you furloughed? I am. The one in DC has the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. They built another one in Maryland in like '97 to house. I mean, because at that time everything was paper. Abraham Lincoln's so. toenails. Right. Right. No, I, I, I just, used to work it's, there. It's the second largest government building next to the Pentagon. So it's just like weird shit like that, like letters. You know, it's from... funny. So Project Blue Book, I think, was something that came out on Netflix recently. Uh, if, or there's some movie. That's a collection at the National Archives. I used to work in the microfilm room, and there is microfilmed documents uh, of what's called Project Blue Book. And it's basically like in the 40s, people going and interviewing people in the South who are just obviously making shit up or like misidentifying something. The problem with it is it's such a needle in the haystack kind of thing. Like all the Ken Burns, really good information that comes out of there. Uh, And I've been watching a couple presidential documentaries on PBS of the different people that direct them. A lot of good information comes from the archives. It's just, it's not word searchable. Like it's these reams and reams and reams of paper. Mm. Whereas I think now going forward, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how certain regimes handle creating records but the theory is that federal agencies create records and they end up at the archives 
and so there's a mandate for everything to become digital. So huh. I work in the physical processing of stuff. So I mean, at some point, like it's all theoretically going to become digital. Um, but yes, well, I, n nothing's digital or physical right now because I'm furloughed. So um, cold policy. So what do you think? Um, it's funny you mentioned Project Blue Book because my homie uh, on another one of his podcasts is like, yeah, I'm getting ready to interview Noam Chomsky. I was like, man, ask him about uh, what what like he because he in a bunch of Noam Chomsky's book, he's always like, if a UFO came down to Earth and saw humans, this is what they would say and think. And I'm all, and so I'm always like, I was like, you should ask him. He was asking me, what should I ask him? I was like, ask him about um, UFOs and Roswell. And he was like, dude, I'm not fucking asking Noam Chomsky about fucking Roswell. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, I don't blame you, but you could say it came from someone else. Right. You know? right it's just right. like. From listener Tim. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, are, are people pissed off? Like, is it, are, oh, are yeah. like most people Trump supporters over there and like this has turned them against him? Or are people like, nah, like, yo, I'm going to do this for the wall and I'm fucking so, going in. I live in Virginia and I work in Maryland and Virginia is an interesting state in that it's typically been Republican. And then this last election, it was Democratic. And that's important in the sense that only 25 percent of the government is currently not funded. So 25 percent is furloughed, which I don't think a lot of people understand. So I don't mean to say it's only, but it's 800,000 people. And if I had to guess... I would say the majority of them are in the tri-state area between D.C., which is not a state, but Maryland, Virginia, and then, I don't know, maybe Delaware or Baltimore, something like in that area. So I feel like a lot of the people in this area are particularly liberal, and they don't agree with it. And, I mean, every poll that I've seen, and that's one thing I've come to dislike about Twitter is the algorithms yeah. keep you in, the, in your echo chamber. So everything, I, like unless it's a fucking obvious, like, Putin bot, you know, it's like build the fucking wall, pound it. You know, everything I see is people saying that there's a low support rate for it. I, I mean, in my thirty a thirty percent approval right. rating for for the shutdown and a seventy percent opposition to it at this point to the shutdown. The one, the one it's thing that it does shit, it's such a shit show. The one thing I will say that is very common in this area, no matter where people lay, which is interesting to me, is a lot of people like I blame both sides. Yeah. Which I don't, I'm not a, like, you know, there's definitely some issues, like when Obama shut down the government over health care. I mean, I personally, I agreed with them, but I could see the other sides of the argument in terms of efficiency. With this, I'm kind of surprised it's, because I'm definitely for the wall, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> I wonder if it's gotten to a point of just malaise and apathy, which is just seems to be in 2019 what everyone's really good at, is like... If we get to like March first, well, we're about to hit the second people's second paycheck not getting, not coming through. So I think you missed. They missed one paycheck. Now the second one's not going to come through. I think people are going to start getting tomorrow. Tomorrow, used right? to waking up yeah. on every other Friday, you know, making sure that the money comes in. And I, it's funny because my wife, uh, we met when she was living in when she lives in Virginia. I was living in Maryland. And she's a teacher, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to convince you to move to Maryland and have that commute. So I don't know how familiar you are with – I know you know what, like, traffic was like at out in L.A. Like, in this area on the Beltway, it's comparable. Sometimes worse. Uh, yeah, I've spent, I've spent some time out there. or And I do spend some time out there. Sure. So going like Great, from – Great Falls, Virginia. Is I live in Falls okay, Church. Yeah, nice. So not far from where you're talking about at all. If you're ever out here, hit me up, man. We'll hang out. Okay. Okay. 
Um, so I moved out to Virginia, you know, to take the commute and it was like, yo, God, this, this fucking blows, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not a fun aspect of it, but this is a very secure job. And, you know, once we start having children, we'll be glad about having the healthcare and everything like that. And now she's like, she's actually pregnant. She's seven months pregnant, coming home every day. She's like, what the fuck have you been doing all day? <laughs> so I've tried to convince her that me sticking with this low paying job that takes me away for 12 hours a day, five days a week is worth it because it's stable. And now I'm not out of work for a month. So, you know, there's a metaphor there, but right. Right. Uh, that's crazy, though. That's uh, that sucks. I'm so sorry, man. That's uh, I appreciate it, man. Bullshit. Yeah, you gotta it's learn been, how to you know, grow some shit in your backyard, man. I should. Yeah, dude, just get a bunch of seeds, start growing some microgreens in your window. That's <laughs> Which, what I'm doing right now. The name of this episode is officially microgreens in your window. <laughs> micro seeds. Who's that peeking through your window? Pow. Micro Little bean greens. sprouts. <laughs> That's what CeeLo was getting at, by the way. CeeLo was talking about microgreens in a window. Foodie mob. <laughs> it's really cool how whoever's talking, it switches to their window. Yeah, right. Kind yeah. of, uh... So have you never used Google Hangout before? No. Interrupting. Okay. Uh, I used it once. I used it once for my Patreon. I used it once for my Patreon because um, I was like going to have like a monthly hangout thing i did it twice i was like i fucking hate this like sorry <laughs> um this is being deleted from my patreon I'm not doing this anymore so you would interact with the fan over google hangouts i'd like have like a whole bunch of people in a google hangout and then like we just like talk about shit but i just didn't it was awkward yeah. wow yeah. So, i feel like more than four people is it's just the it's, cacophony it at that point. shout out to the pen pals yeah and i was like you know i was like charging people for that i'm like I, I wouldn't like what what the fuck am I thinking like this is horrible I hate this like, <laughs> so let me ask you this about being around your son because that's one thing that's been nice about being home is I've got to spend a lot more time with my daughter um, the idea of being home alone with a kid though for more than like three days I don't know mm. is that something you typically do or you and your wife pretty much split the duties half and half yeah basically like I work I, I work in the mornings um, to like one and then she goes to work and then I watch him in the afternoons. Okay. Uh, but this weekend um, my wife went away cause like we're weaning right now. Mm. And so he, uh, she went away on like a vacation. It's girls trip is called. And uh, she went on a girls trip. And so it was just me and him in a fucking the crazy ass snowstorm this weekend it was like enemy mine. You ever see that movie? Yeah. That's what it felt like. <laughs> it felt like it was like enemy mine, and uh, and it was it was awesome though. We were just like, because I mean, the thing is, like, because your kid is like nine months old, right, or a year old, year and a half, a year and a half. Okay, yeah. our kids are the same age, right? Well, I don't know. I just feel like the older, like, like this week he hit this, like last week he hit this developmental thing where he's just like just has so much to say and he's just like fucking insane and it's i don't know it was amusing to me i just set myself up for like all right just just get it get it go get yourself a new hash pen and uh right. get ready to get ready to watch some videos of trucks on tv and <laughs> get out the light bright and get some strawberries and just get ready <laughs> Sounds pretty dope, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. Whatever, it's awesome. It's fun. It was a little too cold to play in the snow, yeah. so I wasn't. I was kind of bummed about that. Has he been out in the snow yet? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. I bet he loves Yeah, he it. loves the snow. Yeah. He loves the snow. I mean, can you imagine being like a year old, just like just starting to realize what things outside of you yourself are, and then you go out in the snow? That would be mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's um, – he – like he just likes to chase. He basically just chases our dogs and chickens around. Yeah. And, uh, chickens, chickens. That's, awesome. That's so dope. My daughter started walking like five weeks ago. I literally can't remember what it was like when she wasn't walking. Like I watch a video. I'm like, oh, wait, who's that? Kid? Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's insane. I'm a sucker. You know, I'm like, I'm every cliche. You know, it's it just I didn't like the first year though. I just thought it was really difficult. Um, it was like a letting, and you know, I'm like 40, so it's like you're pretty used to your life and having a sense of self, and then uh, you have a kid, and then it's like, all right, you know. I mean, to, if sleep is mildly important to you, then having a young child is very disruptive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the weed helps though. <laughs> so Steve's got two kids actually. Steve's the OG of our independent parenting group. And so I go to him for advice all the time. So what so what it's all about. You so do it's you. all about we can't you're doing a great job, Cease. I appreciate it, man. She she threw up so much on me today. Nice. Was, I took my shirt off. Yeah. She threw up again. I was like, I'm just waiting till my wait wife. Wait, so she threw up because yeah. you took your shirt off? <laughs> <laughs> Ew, Dad. <laughs> It's like very hairy, <laughs> right? So yeah, so yeah man, that's it's awesome. Good it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a trip. It's a fucking trip. I guess I was just like shitting my pants at in the beginning. Like thought I thought I was ready. Mm-hmm. Then I was just like, like what the fuck? That's why we have wives, right? When yes. you said with your wife's background, <laughs> like she's got to have some kind of ability, like you know, taught and natural ability. To handle a shitting baby. Yeah, yeah. I apparently, apparently, I do too, though. Yeah, I think that I, it, it's like when you love something that much. I mean, it's the ultimate like I really give a shit here thing that brings everything good out of you mm. to make yourself do it. You know, I feel I really feel like if you've lived past like thirty-two, mm. there is something inside you that would allow you to really handle shit if you really wanted to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I, I don't. I feel like I don't have like a lot of like parenting platitudes other than I think it's awesome. And yeah. It's a, like, like you know, I, I guess my favorite thing is like, so this, this is my studio behind me, and um, you know, he's always like, when before he could even walk, you know, before he could walk, he would crawl around and like eat strawberries out of our yard. Um, and, uh, I have a keyboard on the ground when I'd be like mixing shit and it would just be a, it's a circuit bent keyboard and he would just like, just play it at like whatever, eight months or something. Mm. And, uh, and so now, you know, now he's like, you know, playing the chaos pad and like twisting all the knobs on my doctor sample and like, just like finding out new, uh, new effects on my I'm always like oh my god I, I didn't even know my thing did that like what the fuck did you just do like um, <laughs> maybe he's just a really ill producer yeah right. yeah well I'm really I'm like because he's always we call it jamming so he's always like jam 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 and then he just runs <laughs> in the studio and uh, but it's like if that's what babysitting is it's right, like, right 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 
I've been in, I've played with really whack musicians before. I can do it again. <laughs> but I kind of like want to, uh, I kind of want to like, like give him like some phony German name, like, you know, Werner Vaughn, you know, uh, whatever. Diaper and, shit. uh, yeah, like some, just like, just like record like his little noise sessions and then just put it out like it's like high art or something. Like, oh, this right. Is, yeah. This is Austria's hottest electronic composer. Like, it's minimalist, like fill glass, yet noisy. Like, right. You know. I guarantee you, you'd be surprised the percentage of your fans that listen to it are like, wow, this is really dope. Look at the way he <laughs> plays with time signatures. Right. <laughs> no offense taken. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize. Yeah, that for real, so <laughs> I just made what the fuck? That was kind right, of right. a shot. No, just in general. But all right, like, all right. I see you. I, I apologize. I, you. I apologize. No, no, it's cool. Don't. Apologies. I'm just kidding. I'm just giving you shit. So the the new record, constituent. You are dropping it when people can hear it. Where are you going to be t- traveling? Can they hit you up on Google Hangouts and just talk to you at random times? Fuck no. I got asses to wipe, man. <laughs> I got asses to wipe over here. I ain't doing nowhere. Um, no, I'm not touring. Um, I have no plans of touring for a while. I'm just going to make it a record. It comes out 220 uh, or 222, whatever the Friday is. Um, you know, I'm, that's it. It's just a record. I'm putting it out. Um, just another soul album. <laughs> basically um and i'm putting it out and uh yeah they can buy it wherever they buy it they can buy it from me at soul1.org forward slash destituent like that's where like i'm not i didn't do the pre-order on Bandcamp. i just kind of did it on my own website um and uh you know it'll be in all the normal places uh fake four is distributing uh the vinyl so it'll be you know, whatever, and you know, I don't know where people would go to buy a record, uh, but I guess a store if you still have one where you live, um, right? Find it at Amoeba or you know, um, the Spotify store at the mall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. I don't. I uh, it's weird to be like, oh, I have no plans of touring, but I'm actually like, I really wanted to like do a real farm this year and so i'm like trying like this new cycle where it's like i make an album in the winter and then i like just fuck around for the rest of the year and then just make an album in the winter and then fuck around for the rest of the year and then are you picking winter because that's conducive to your creative process or just that's when you're going to be in the house most anyway exactly yeah 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 Yeah, it's like you can't go out i didn't quite realize how much it would make me just want to be uh mellow though it's like hibernating weather it's fucking cold i can't imagine how how far north are you, of your portland and from portland are you just half hour okay but that's fucking up there though that's crazy yeah it's basically two degrees colder than portland which isn't like dramatic but it's uh it's fucking cold. i mean like we we're like oh it's i was like oh it's not that cold and then it was like um that was like they're like oh winter hasn't started yet <laughs> just wait motherfucker. coming to you yeah. live next wednesday <laughs> and the then like will be a strong eight degrees fahrenheit in portland maine yeah like i thought my house was cool and then like pipes started freezing up and shit Ooh. i was like oh man this is fucking yeah, this that's... is some real yeah. shit 
Next Wednesday to Saturday, the lows are eight, five, four, and five. Jeez. Are you looking at me? It just sounds like a, yeah, it sounds like a you, countdown. Yeah. yeah, I just I just pulled it on Google. Hey. Yeah, Portland, Maine. Yikes, that's cold. Mm. Nice today though, forty four. Hey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's some some weird ass shit. It's like we had like a foot and a half of snow, and now it's just like pouring monsoon raining out. It's like whatever. It's cool. Thanks, so Al you... Gore. Thanks, Exxon. <laughs> Do you like, uh, I know you've lived on the East Coast, the West Coast, Arizona, which if I understand is a little bit different than like the weather you get out in Oakland and Barcelona. Is there one particular geographic place that you would prefer to be in? I like the desert. I'm a desert cat. Um, I just like the dry air because I have like allergies and um, yeah, I just like the way the dry air feels, but you know. I, I, I don't feel like um, it, I, that's not where I want to live for the rest of my life. So I came back to sea level. But like, yeah, we're like fond of the high desert, like Taos, New Mexico, Arizona, like the Four Corners area, I think is really cool. Were you growing anything out there food wise? Um, in Denver? Yeah. Or if you lived in Flagstaff too for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where I started. It was hard to grow stuff there. It was like, everything would get cooked by the sun. Uh, and so it's like the shit I wanted to grow as soon as like the sun got to it, it would just fucking cook everything. So I didn't actually like, I ate a couple spinach and some onions, but it was proof of concept. And then when I moved to Denver, um, we basically had like a food forest in our backyard. Uh, it was like apple tree, peach tree, apricot, apple, just as much, as much shit as we could cram into a tiny lot. Like we had like a pond and you could eat every, you know, watercress growing in the pond. And it was, I'm really hungry real, after this interview. Really <laughs> nerdy, really nerdy shit. Like really nerdy shit. This like I was a, like soul food remix. Like when yeah, I was like, we were like the other day, like we were like talking about all this shit. And I was like, damn, like when we, me and my wife, I was like, when we, met each other on Telegraph Ave in Berkeley. Like, did we really think we'd be like having a kid and eating fucking rural, rural, yeah, rural Maine, like talking about like we're talking about how we're going to eat acorns next year. Like really? <laughs> <laughs> now has yeah. she been pretty supportive throughout all of the, I, I don't know how long you guys have been together throughout all of the moves in your career. And I mean physically, like moving from one place to the other, or had those moves been based on her career? Yeah, I mean, we always made those decisions together. I mean, nowhere we moved has ever been good for my career. You know, they're always like, let's live somewhere cool, is what we're always doing. So, um, yeah, no, of course, of course. I mean, she's, um, you know, a saint, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, very patient. I mean, there was there were years in Arizona where I was where I was like made like five grand or something. Mm. You know, like, mm. like wow, that's love. <laughs> yeah. Do uh, do you miss touring? I know you did it for as much as anybody early on. No, I don't like touring. I mean, that's part of why I I don't give a fuck about playing shows anymore. Um, you know, it's all touring. Touring is just grueling for fucking pennies um you know you're waking up in the morning 8 a.m 9 a.m driving for fucking six to ten hours getting to a club there's no posters up um for your show you know you get you get to the club you're standing or you do your sound check 
you're standing around for fucking another eight hours. You, you go, you go, you know, you get in at 2 a.m. You do the same thing over and over and over again. And it's like, you know, looking, driving around trying to find food. The only way to do it is to just be stoned and drunk the whole time. And it's like, it's just, uh, that's why artists just fucking drop dead. You know, they're not, it's not a healthy it's not a healthy way to live. And uh, like, it'd be one thing if I like, was like coming home with a hundred grand in my pocket or something, um, but I'm not. And so it's like, all right, I'm not going to like pretend that I love doing this. Um, you know, it's like for it to be worth it for me in this day and age to like leave my kid and to not be doing the things I actually want to be doing. Like I'd rather just make art. I'd rather be doing research. I'd rather be working towards the things I'm interested in, not, sitting in a fucking car for 400 hours next month you know it's right it's uh, and it really made me realize that on tour with pain one because he's so into fitness and so like every time we'd like get to a hotel i'd be like doing push-ups and shit and i was like yeah this shit's unhealthy you know this shit's unhealthy um I, I mean i will tour again i'm just not touring now i'm just like taking some time off because um I think I'm trying. I'm trying to like. I'm trying to basically like shift my income so that like music isn't my main thing, and that other other uh, other things are becoming my main sources of income, so that I can just do do shit when I'm moved, as opposed to like, okay, you know, I got to stay on the schedule of getting an album out every nine months if I want to make X amount of money this year. Like fuck that shit. Right. That's it. Well, we feel like you've given us plenty of your time. Yeah, we man, for sure. We appreciate it. it. And uh, the album, The Stituent, comes out February 22nd, 222, and it's available on soul1.org backslash or forward slash The Stituent, all music outlets, the Spotify store, them all. So we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. We'd love to have you back on sometime soon. Anytime. It was it was fun. Thanks, I, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I was like, you didn't ask me what I'm drinking, though. Ah, what you drinking? <laughs> what you drinking? I'm drinking truly Sicilian blood orange, five percent okay. alcohol, spiked, spiked sparkling water with natural motherfucking flavors. That's that good stuff. Only this stuff. Thanks a lot, man. I'm still here, the burden of the game I care no more, at my feet Nothing but a boring order That feels like chaos, you say I'm living the dream But it feels like a seance All of my life at the shit, it owes me nothing I owe it less, I flow like a real intelligence Into consciousness, every year Tip a page in this bleeding ass book Poet, you were far too cavalier about death Now you know it well it's in your breath All of them I won't carry with me I mean I will but I can't It's too heavy All of us roam in circus Sacrifices in a civil war I am still here Watching reality tear An uglier one appear When will we say You can either have my time or my life Pictures of my children and my wife I work for no one Not even history No philosopher ever saw us coming Sitting in place When we should be tearing it down I wish you well When you rise up I'll be on the barricades with you Shit I'll the meeting and I'll even plan the attack but you gotta have my back not just show up
Most of us don't like each other They taught us money's all we have to offer And in this world we're so fucking broke Even when we're rich They say this life's a beach But even sand is running out Fancy that The premise of my last album was wrong But when I said that I was watching a city that I love dearly die All I could do was get together with friends and complain Till all we did was complain All my time is too precious To wring my hands and born When I say I wanna be free It's not a threat And I'm not kidding To me, anarchy is a word that means Don't wait, take, build and destroy what you must Don't bash your head in a concrete forest So we're headed for a real one Covered in ticks and fractures and poisonous moths Cutting down acres of golden rod and brush We are a world unto ourselves, all of us Worlds unto ourselves, connected We will stay eating in an anti-eating But needing more than a politics of negation Let's build into the rulers of the world I don't want your shit, so fuck off And rot like you've been doing Your president is the sum of all your politicians And your politicians are the sum of nothing And nothing from nothing Don't mean a motherfucking thing So my advice to y'all Stay away from parasites I mean destitute their world Or stay precarious in theirs No time to despair Right there, there is no time to 